Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Welcome to episode number 5B, uh, where we continue our conversation with Peter Deswood of the Navajo Nation. Uh, before we begin, I do want to fact check myself. I talked about the Blackfoot tribe and I mentioned they were in North Dakota. That is incorrect. They are actually in Montana and uh, Canada. So I do hope you guys are enjoying the show. Uh, remember, please follow us on Facebook and Instagram as I do put out additional content for the show. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a five-star review as it does help out the show. Uh, so let's begin. I'm your host, Nick Smith, and this is Culturepology. I guess I'm already recording. So, <laughs> um, how was the snow the other day? Nice. Yeah, it was nice. It's refreshing. Yeah. Do you guys get a lot of, you guys get a lot of snow up there? Uh, we, well, north of us, we do in Colorado, but mm -hmm. I mean, we're only 25 miles from the Colorado border. Oh, okay. So it snows in Farmington, but then it melts by noon. Yeah. Yeah, we we have Big Bear um, that's close to us. I mean, that's an hour and a half away. This this uh, this winter has been very mild, and so we haven't really gotten. I think it's only snowed three or four days so f this wow. winter. Which I mean, that's that's not uh, not a whole lot. I mean, we don't get a whole lot of rain and stuff, anyways. But it's been very mild you know usually mornings around where i live is in the mid to low 30s and lately i mean this whole this whole um winter has been 40s low 40s mid 40s 10 degrees warmer yeah and i mean there was even a, a space of a week that we had 90 degree weather this this winter which wow yeah it was really weird it's been really weird this this winter and uh for southern california especially so um but yeah i mean i guess we can go ahead and get started okay so what is the relationship between the navajo and the government okay so the, it's kind of like good and bad, I guess. <laughs> if if you look at it historically, I, whenever you look back at the history, the Navajo people or Native people in the United States, you know, the whole mission, the whole goal was to erase, eradicate Native people. Um, so, and then it went through various stages to assimilation, um, boarding school era, and then now we're back to revitalization of language. So there was a point where 
the government didn't want native people to speak their language. So they, they didn't want Navajos to speak Navajo. In fact, in the boarding school, that's where there's a lot of trauma that, that we, that we see today. And so for example, children had their mouths washed out with soap if they spoke their, their native language. And so they tried to erase the culture, right? They tried to, to, um, transform us into productive citizens, you know, where they taught us, tried to teach us skills, farmers, ranchers, things of that nature. So some of that is still evident to this day. For example, Navajo people, there's a lot of, there's a significant amount of people that are farmers and ranchers and raise livestock Mm -hmm. like sheep, cattle, horses, so that's very much a part of it. So there, we did definitely did pick up some of the of what the government was trying to, I guess, assimilate us. I mean, they, mm-hmm. so. But I mean, if you think about about the treaties, you know, if you, if you talk to Native people, they they always say that no treaty has ever been upheld. No, no treaty has been followed. Right. So there's a lot of there's a lot of animosity, and I think Native people to this day. Navajo in particular are always trying to hold the federal government to that treaty responsibility. Um, the Navajo people um, signed a treaty. It's called the Treaty of 1868, and it was signed down in in Bosco Redondo, Redondo, I think. But it's Fort Sumner, New Mexico, and so a lot of the like education is supposed to be provided and healthcare was supposed to be provided. So we have a Indian health service on, on the Navajo reservation. We have one, I think four or five large regional hospitals and then some smaller clinics. There's in, if you look back at the history of, of the Navajo people, I think one thing is, is, is very evident. There's, you know, because of, the because of the bad nature between between Navajo people and the government, um, like I was saying earlier, there's a lot of animosity. But right. whenever you whenever you look at like there's a lot of legal cases right now that that are currently going on. In fact, one of them back in the 1980s was the water rights settlement, where the Navajo people had to take the federal government and, and states like New Mexico, Arizona, Colorado, Nevada, California mm-hmm. to court saying, you know, this is the historical lands of the Navajo people. And we, you know, this is our, this is our territory. This is, this is where we roamed. This is where we lived and we have rights to this water. So we want those rights back. So, in the 1980s, 70s and 80s, uh, those water rights were finally put in place. I mean, it's not a lot because obviously there's a lot of states that, that benefit from the Colorado River. Right. All the way down to Mexico as well. So the Navajo Nation, you know, typically goes to California and um, Nevada and and Arizona, Phoenix for meetings regarding the Colorado river, um, water mm-hmm. crew. I think I just remember as crew, it's called the crew water conference mm-hmm. to continue to, to push for 
the significant amount of water rights that the Navajo Nation has. And not only the, not only just the Navajo Nation, but there's also Hopi that has water rights. There's also the the Apache and then the different tribes that that uh, that are that, that live and reside along the Colorado River and the tributaries as well, like mm-hmm. the La Plata, um, the San Juan River. In fact, there's a diversion up here, the San Juan River, where in the 19, late 60s and early 70s, the federal government created a, a reservoir to divert water to the Navajo Nation's farm, which is south of Farmington here. It's a 72,000-acre farm. So we, when that happened, there was a, a water exchange that happened with the with the state of New Mexico, the Rio Grande, they called it the Chama Diversion, mm-hmm. where they diverted water down the Chama River. So, uh, but anyway, a lot of this is one issue, right? There's a, there's a there's a there's quite a few issues that that Native and, and Navajo people face. Right, and I know that uh, early on, when the treaties were being made, they were uh, they were made kind of unfairly, you know a lot of the native people didn't speak English and all the treaties were written in English. And so a lot of it was, a lot of it was missed in translation. You know, it wasn't translated, right. It wasn't, there was no way way to understand what what was being signed. And I I really, that's, you know, I, I do see where none of those treaties were upheld because I mean, they were basically written to not be upheld, you know, not that's correct. And not, yeah, not just through the Navajo, but natives in, in, in general, it was just, it was a very unfair treaty. And I think that's still kind of going on today. That's correct. I think considering, you know, it, it's, it's a lot of legal jargon, right? A lot of language that. Lawyers and and legislators' language, right? So, mm-hmm. at the time, I think a lot of the the Navajo people, some of them had signatures, and some of them would just put their thumbprint with ink mm. the signature on there. But, but you, you, I think one thing that's important to keep in mind was that it was almost forced. They were almost forced to these treaties because the Navajo people were dying off. Right. It's, right. It's, it was, we either sign this and die and perish in Fort Sumner, hundreds of miles, five or 600 miles away from our ancestral lands. You know, we sign it and then we, our people came back. My ancestors came back to the four corners region. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, e- even though I think that's where, a lot of uh, Native people or Navajo people have uh, got educated, you know, lawyers, doctors, to understand and and navigate and be able to interpret the laws within mm-hmm. the treaties. So now there's a lot of there's a lot of um, action, legal action towards the federal government to uphold their side, their federal right. trust responsibility. And I, I mean, whenever I say federal trust responsibility, I talk about the land being held in trust by the federal government. So Navajo people don't necessarily, well, not necessarily, we don't own the land. It's held right. in trust. So whenever people want to buy a house and, or buy, we can't buy the land first of all, because it's held in trust, but to build a house, there's not a lot of banks that will give Navajo people money to, 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 to build a house, to construct a house. So there's a lot of, there's, there is, 
I guess, public housing that the mm-hmm. Navajo Nation has uh, has built. And so then people do rent that from the Navajo Nation. Um, but to take that a little bit deeper, the the way the treaties were written, actually, back in the 1920s and 1930s, the Navajo Nation w- was uh, pushed, uh, I almost say forced, to create a government tribal council very similar to the federal government mm-hmm. where they had to create a tribal council so that the, so that oil companies and mineral rights companies uh, for mineral extraction would, could create contracts with the Navajo nation. So then the, the, the tribal council was created as the body to oversee these contracts and to carry out the language in the contracts. Okay. But Again, these were for royalties, right? Um, right. From from what I've seen, ten to fifteen percent of the royalties, but majority of the company, a majority of the profit still go. Actually, I think it was like fifty percent of the profit goes to the to the the business that right. that, that that mines or extracts uh, resources. And that's one thing that's that's pretty important for people to understand is that when that land is held in trust the subsurface rights mm-hmm. we don't own them the, the navajo people don't own them and there there's there's issue with that um you know the luckily we fought for the water rights but during the 1940s and 50s quite a few quite a bit of land on the navajo nation was used for uranium mining oh wow so in fact some of the some of the uranium that uh, was that was mined for the atomic bombs mm-hmm. was uh, taken from from parts of the Navajo Nation in Colorado and taken down to Los Alamos and then wherever they tested is um, White Sands, right? Mm-hmm. So because of that uranium mining, I interviewed a gentleman on my podcast and he was saying that there's over five hundred and seventy open uranium mines they haven't been you know with super fun projects to, to fill them and to right to reclaim the land around those mines so they're still open they're, they, oh, wow. they there's a big push for them to to reclaim the land to um he, the, the gentleman i interviewed was saying that Along that um, Gallup, New Mexico, there's a, I can't I can't think of the name of the the river that goes through Gallup, but they were finding because of these uranium mines, they were finding high levels of of um, I can't think of the name radioactivity in the soil and in oh. the water. Oh, so there was wow. a lot of native people that were getting sick, having issues because yeah. of that. Right. So and, and then. Keep in mind, there's still 578 or so. I think it was more like 580 or 90 mm-hmm. that are still open, but they haven't been they haven't been done, haven't been reclaimed or shut or you know um, covered properly. Right. So anyway, what happens is seepage um, leaking into the into the aquifer, and these mining companies were not held accountable right. to to reclaim. Right. right. Reclaim. In fact, there's a big, there was a big controversy a couple of years ago in 
near Kianta, Arizona, there's a, a mine up there. They call it Black Mesa Mine or Kianta Mine or Peabody Coal, you know, got out of uh, reclaiming some of the land. And, you know, they, they through a slurry, they would, they would take coal and mix it with water and flush it down towards, towards uh, Phoenix area. Mm-hmm. So they were not only were they taking water from the Navajo Nation, right? But they were also sending coal. I mean, it was purchased, but you know, only a portion of the of the money was coming back to the to the Navajo Nation. Right. So they've recently got they got out of that contract to reclaim the land. In fact, it was a lot of protest um, two years ago to, for those companies to be, you know, held accountable. And I think that's the big right. issue that. For money, for profit, people come and take advantage of uh, of native communities. Oh, I, I 100% agree with that. You know, I mean, it happens everywhere. You know, and and I know um, I uh, had to do a little research on uh, the Blackfoot tribe, and and they just recently won the, their water rights. I mean, just a couple of years ago. So, I mean, that 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 stuff is still recent. You know, even with the government that we have now, it's, I mean, everything is still going on. It's ongoing. And these, you know, it's like you said, you know, they're, they're kind of destroying the land, but there's, their hands are, are washed clean of it. They don't want anything to do with, with taking care of it or anything like that. And it's, you know, they, they took so much from the land from the Navajo Nation, but they don't want to do anything to help. Right. And, and obviously through, bankruptcy laws they were that was you know the way the system was set up um you know they were they weren't held accountable for for reclaiming and um you know leaving the land right the way it was when they got here so that that's one example i mean there's like you said that's that's pretty common in in a lot of native communities in fact just there's one recently that happened where where uh, president trump opened up uh, the bears ears uh, national um, monument Mm-hmm. which is north which is in in southern utah mm-hmm. i think it's south of south of um I'm trying to think of a town that, that people might know moab south of moab okay. maybe maybe 50 or 60 miles south but uh trump had opened it up to mining as well right to, to mine that that region so that's another controversy that that happened where you know they reduced they reduced the amount of of a land mass that was classified as a national park. So they basically, I heard 75% once Trump signed his legislation, they, they, that was opened up to mining. So, and I think it's a big misconception of a lot of American people when they think of the reservations being, you know, native American land. And it's like you said, it's, it's held in a trust. So it's not even technically owned by, Native Americans. It's still owned by the U S government. And I, I, I just, I don't see how that still can be today. Right. Well, that it's something that shouldn't have, have been, you know, it shouldn't be that way. That's the baffling part, right? Because, you know, if you think, if you look at the way the treaties and the law was set up, right. I mean, even the constitution, right. You know where they talked about mercyless Indian savages, right? right? 
when you see that language and the language in, in the constitution and the documents, we're wards of the state, right? The government, the government thinks we can't take care of ourselves. That's why they, they hold it in trust right. because they don't think we can take care of it. So, right. um, again, but I mean, that's even to this day, the, the Navajo people are under the Department of Interior, mm-hmm. right? Which was, which used to be the, the Department of War, right? So the way they looked at us was uh, to, in conflict, in conflict with the government. So that was part of the, the policy to eradicate us and then that didn't work and then forced assimilation and then the various stages of, of trying to civilize us, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, we were, we were heathens. That's the way. <laughs> yeah. Noble savages. Uh, I, you know, I, yeah. And I mean, I think a lot of people do know assimilation. Maybe they know it happened, but I don't think they know that. I mean, some of those boarding schools didn't even close until the 1970s. You know, I mean, this stuff was still going on just until, you know, 50 years ago. I know the 1970s, it doesn't, it's not that far in the past. That's correct. And I mean, even still today, what's being done to help our native communities, the Navajo Nation, not a whole lot, I don't think. Right. Well, I tell you one thing that's been positive is, you know, with, with COVID in the last year and the pandemic, I think there's been a lot of community support where people have donated stuff to the Navajo mm-hmm. Nation. I know they were they were one of the first groups of uh, people of color to go through the test stages of the vaccine. Mm-hmm. In fact, just this past week, they opened up the vaccines to anybody. Right? Oh. They, they they had already went through their they're first responders, essential workers. They're, they're anyone 65 and older or 75 and older than 65 and older. And then recently they went to opening up to any tribal member. Mm-hmm. So um, there's, that, that's been helpful. Uh, and I think just because of how the impact that, that COVID made on, on Navajo lives and the amount of press that, you know, we for several months they had the highest positivity rate of any group of people. So there was a lot of press and publicity to to the point where Johns Hopkins said, you know, we'll we'll work with the Navajo people. And you know, so then on that front, um, it, I think it's been it's helped it's helped Navajo people get recognized that that um, it was important. But and then to right. take that a little bit further too. Uh, bec- you know, with there was a, a lot more attention as well because I think they were saying eighty-five percent of Navajo people voted for Biden recently. Mm-hmm. So that was in Arizona that really helped shift the state to turn blue. Um, right. So there's so then there was a lot more attention. In fact, recently there's been two two members of the Navajo Nation that are on uh, Biden's cabinet. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so it's kind of elevated, elevated. It. So to me, it was almost a blessing in disguise right. for, for the Navajo Nation to get recognized. I mean, even before that, though, you know, I think with whenever you think back about, you know, there's a hypocrisy that happened with with uh, the, the federal policy to to take our language away. And then in the 1940s for World War II, for the Navajo Code Talkers to save uh, right. the war. 
Right. Yeah. It's, it's very, it's a very interesting thing where, you know, the, the U S government was trying to essentially eradicate, you know, the Navajo culture, but yet the language of the Navajo people helped us win that war, you know, and it's, it's, it's very, it's a very weird, weird thing to think about because it's like, you know, we, in in a in a in a way, you know, you have in World War Two, you had Nazi Germany trying to eradicate a people, and we stepped in. But yet, we we are similarly doing the same thing to our native people, where we were, where we were trying to get rid of not necessarily the people, but their their culture, their language, everything like that. And but yet, that language, specifically the Navajo language helped win that war because that was a language that couldn't, you know, those, those code, those codes could not be broken by anyone, you know, and it's, it's just, it's a, it's a very weird relationship in that, in that regard. Absolutely. And I think that's the way, a good way to describe it. It's a weird relationship that the Navajo nation has with the federal government. And I think that's why it's come, it's to the point now that, the Navajo nation just kind of sues, you know, that's right. That's kind of, you know, that's the way it is. I guess it's written in the law. Mm-hmm. Right. So then, so then there's a lot of advocacy and the, then there's a lot of people that, 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 that support the Navajo nation because of events like the code talkers and uh, you know, the unbreakable code. So yeah. I think it's uh, more people should support, you know, all of our, our, you know, native communities around the United States and Canada and, and things like that. You know, it's just, I don't think it's taught enough in school. I, you know, the history books was written by certain people and I'm sure in, on the reservation history is taught a little differently. I, I would assume, um, cause it, focuses a little bit more on Navajo culture and, and, you know, on, you have the other side. So like a lot of people talk about, there's two sides to every story. Well, throughout the United States, only one side's really taught. The other side isn't. And so throughout your schooling, you only learn one side. And so I think through that, a lot of people around the United States have a very closed mind about all of our native communities. And so I, I think it really takes some understanding and some people to reach out and really help. You know, you were saying some of the people around the communities were, were helping and that's probably outside the community, you know, which, which is fantastic. But those are people that live, you know, in and around the native, you know, the, the Navajo reservation. I don't see that quite enough throughout the United States as I think we maybe should. That's true. And I, and I think you brought up a good point. You know, there, there, there is outside support, right? A lot of people combine resources to donations and, and deliver them to the Navajo nation. But there was also, a lot of community from within as well, like a lot of younger 
millennials getting together and helping elders. Right. So there was, sometimes it takes a struggle for, for people to come together. Right. And I think that's one thing that came out with, with the pandemic is, is that community and that relationship, how we talked about, um, about care and, and that relationship that happens. Um, so it's, it's, it was powerful to see that happening, you know, the amount of resources and food that was delivered. Um, right. But I mean, it, it, that doesn't change the, the, uh, actually here's one. So the, the amount of uh, CARES funding that was delivered to the tribes it was supposed to be, I think about $25 billion mm-hmm. and they ended up whittling it down to, I think eight or 9 billion oh, wow. for, wow. for native people. So, wow. Um, so that money, yeah, that was, that was pretty disheartening. And then obviously they had to divvy the, the nine or I think it was like nine or $10 billion among the 562 or so recognized, uh, federally recognized tribes. Right. And the Navajo Nation, they're a portion of it. And they ended up getting, I think it was about 700, 770 to $800 million. Mm-hmm. So, um, but again, the Navajo Nation, I think they have, a, it's the largest, uh, the largest native tribe. Yeah, I, I believe, I believe so. I believe it's the largest in the United States. Yeah. So, um, but you know, whenever you think about that, like I know earlier we had talked about, the the you know the four elements the four sacred elements that exist in in many in many cultures around the world but the way the way navajo people think of that you know whenever we start to see overabundance and i think that's why i talked about you know that balanced lifestyle whenever you know whenever you're in Whenever there's not balance, things like this pandemic happen. In fact, I talked with another elder and I shared it on my podcast. What he was saying is that the earth has a natural way of rebalancing itself and that, that this pandemic is kind of one of those, one of those um, balances, balancing acts that happens, right? Because an overpopulation is happening, has happened and, and, and is happening. So that's the earth's way. In fact, a lot of times the, you know, Earthquakes happen, um, natural disasters happen because the earth is trying to keep itself in balance. So there's, there's definitely a lot of connection, mm-hmm. you know, with, with the, with, with spirituality and, and just the way of being and, and living. Right. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, uh, that balance that you've talked about, I think that's really, I mean, that's a very important part of the Navajo culture. And I think a lot of people could, learn from that in general, you know, right. like having a, a, a balance and learning more about balance, I think is very important. Right. And it's, it's really hard, you know, it's really hard. You know, there's, there being, you know, a traditional Navajo, there's a lot of, obviously a lot of taboos like any other culture. Right. That's, that's the, that's the hard part is, you know, a lot of times I've heard people say, um, the Navajo beliefs is not necessarily not necessarily a religion, but it's a way of life, right? It, it's yeah, and I, I would I would agree with that. I mean, it's not it's not a religion. I mean, it's it's been a way of life for. I mean, I don't even know how long. I mean, since Navajo 
people have been around. I mean, it's, that's the way of life. Right. You know, and it's like you said, you know, the oral tradition. So everything has been passed down and passed down and passed down and passed down. And it's not a religion like Christianity or Islam or Catholicism or any, anything like that. It's, it's like you said, it's a way of life. I mean, that's just, that's exactly what it is. All right. So, so just to talk a little bit more about, you know, whenever the, the Navajo people were, were, uh, it's all, sometimes I say internment camp because it really was like an internment camp. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. When we were prisoners of war. So, you know, I know a lot of people like fried bread, right? Navajo people mm-hmm. like fried bread as well. But just to talk a little bit about that, I think some of the rations and the, the food that the, that the government gave Navajo people while they were um, at Fort Sumner was flour and water and, you know, lard. So Mm -hmm. that's how, that's the story of how, you know, the Navajo fry bread or Navajo taco came about. I know there's a controversy between Navajo taco and Indian taco, right? (laughs) But, um, yeah, so that there's a, that's a that's one of those issues within within native people, right? There's always there's some conflict between native people, and that's one of them. Well, it's not an Navajo taco; it's an Indian taco. So there's, <laughs> there's a, right, there's a, it, it, and I, and I it's in it's it's interesting to the the word Indian, you know, it, that wasn't a term until I believe. Christopher Columbus came and thought he was going to India. And so when he landed here, he thought he was in India and labeled everybody as Indians because he thought he was in India. But that, I mean, that wasn't even a term before, before that happened, you know, and, I, and it's, it's, it's just an interesting thing to, uh, yeah, that's, that's so true. And I think a lot of people or a lot of native people, they, they call themselves the people of, like that, like Dene for us is where the people, holy people, we're the people of this area. Right. I know I lived up in in um, Wisconsin, and th- whenever you translate their their tribal names or the name for for their group of people, it's like the people of the 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 the, the lake, or I can't remember all of the tribes right. up there, but it's like the the people of the land in 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 a translation, um, because you know. Whenever we look at our creation story, you know, we all come from the earth. We, we come from the earth and the earth raises us or, you know, a lot of the resources that we use today are, you know, like our food that we eat, whether it's our animals or we grow it, it, it comes from the earth and it comes from the mixing of the four sacred elements, right? Plants won't grow if there's no sun. Um, it won't grow if there's no water and won't grow if there's no air. So all of those four elements have to come together for, to, to give us sustenance. And I think that's whenever you think of the spirituality, the corn pollen, when we're giving offering in the morning, midday and end of the day, that's what we're thankful for. We're, we're, we, we say prayer to giving us life uh, right. for, for allowing us to, to exist on the earth. I mean, I think if you go and complete a complete life cycle, you know, you, they say you come out of the ground or your, your, your mom, and then you go back in into right. it. Right? 
when you go through those stages of life and, 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 and in our, with our, with our people, you know, there's, there's different teachings that you learn, learn along the way. And that's why earlier in, in the conversation, I said, this, this is, this is my story. And, you know, I'm only, I'm only 44, but there, there are people that have more of the information out there. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it would be, it, it's interesting how, you know, I could talk to you and then I could talk to somebody else and a lot of it's the similar and the same, but depending on regions and history and, and whatnot, some of these aspects of the culture is going to change slightly. And it's, it's really interesting to get all the perspectives that you can in order to learn as a whole. That's know. right. That's right. I mean, there, there, there are Navajo people on the Western side of the reservation mm-hmm. who didn't even go to Fort Sumner during the long walk. Um, whenever, you know, whenever Navajos were captured and, and rounded up, so then there's there's a group of people west of present day Kayanta, Eastern Western Agency, where, where they say that they didn't surrender to the federal government. We've never surrendered mm-hmm. right? because they were so so remote and um, in that area. There's a lot of caves, um, dwellings like plateaus and mm-hmm. caves within the plateaus. And, you know, that's where Page, Arizona is. So there's a lot of canyons and right. um, that part of the reservation where you see the, the crook neck uh, of the Colorado River. So those are plenty of places to, to hide and not only just to hide, but the, the U.S. Calvary didn't over, want to overextend themselves to go travel further west. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's that kind of goes into what you were saying. In fact, there are, there are some language distinctions too, like – Whenever we, you know, people on the western side of the Navajo Nation and on the eastern side, like for example, snow, some say yes and some say zus, right? Hmm. Just Y and a Z different. So there's a, there's some language differences. And a couple of years ago, our daughter um, had her her blessing way ceremony, which is uh, the Kinalta ceremony, and. Like whatever region people are from and who came to to the ceremony, it was like, oh, it's supposed to be done this way. No, it's supposed to be done this way. <laughs> but people had their different ways of doing things. And right. uh, so there was a lot of, even between families, oh, it's not supposed to be done that way. It's supposed to be done this way. So so then the elders go through and, and figure, oh, let's do it this way. You, you know, instead of there's just one way, right? There's not, there's right. never just one way to do things, but. But acknowledging those differences, I think that's something that's pretty pretty unique about people. But I, I mean, if you think about that, in order for us to to survive and to continue, like we had to make those adjustments. Right? right. And a lot of times, even though the U.S. Um, you know colonized Navajo people, you know the my belief is that if it was the Spanish that had won, right, we pro- I'd probably be speaking Spanish or the right. French won French because no matter who would have been here, we the Navajo people, this is our this is our this is our land. This is where we come from, and um, and and you know you think about that, and at least with Native people, I've never thought of 
going and, and moving somewhere else and saying, Oh, here's where I'm from. Right. Right. This is, this is where for thousands of years or time immemorial, like they say, where my people came from, this is what, this is the region that I know. So a lot of times that's why native people are really, really serious about conserving resources and advocating for, for, or limiting amount of resources being taken from the earth because, you know, this, once we run out of water, we, we can't, you know, we're not the creator. We don't create the water. Right. right? Once you damage the earth and scar the earth so bad, it, you know, we can't just pick up and leave because this is our ancestral lands. And I think that's why a lot of native communities and a lot of native activists are really pushing for, you know, not damaging our earth because this is our home. You know, it takes care of us if we damage it and if we pollute it, then, you know, we're, we're, we're ingesting a lot of that, whether if it's acid rain or whatever, bad materials or, or, or oil that may leak. I mean, that was right. a big question up in the Dakota Access Pipeline was that those leaking pipes. Right. Yep. It, it throws everything out of balance. Yep. Absolutely. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's pretty, you know, you, you know, you think about it though. I think whenever you, you I reflect back and, and I hear the stories that my ancestors have told and, overcoming still mm-hmm. i think there's a sense of pride there that, right. that we overcame this, um, eradication we overcame assimilation i mean even though we do you know we're we live we live in two cultures we live mm-hmm. in our navajo culture and we live in in the mainstream culture um and i think those are some of the things with my, my podcast that i try to explore is navigating those two worlds um, mm-hmm. you know and, and i think there are challenges with that as well. Um, if you look at re- um, educational research, there's a lot of there's a lot of discussion about that. Where, I mean, like you were saying, you know, you you're only hearing the story of the oppressor, right? right? You don't hear the story of the oppressed. But that's where, with with education, I feel right now there's a lot of culturally responsive pedagogy coming into play, mm-hmm. where you validate the stories of of uh, of native people or students of color. Right. Because at least, you know, whenever I would teach history, I would have my students talk about how, what, what was going on with, with their people, right. Their group of people or their, their culture or race Mm -hmm. during whenever we read the, the, the history books, because, you know, sometimes whenever history was being talked about, about, you know, in, in, on the East coast, I'm like, I can't relate to that. Right. Right. But there are people, um, Anglo people, that can relate to that because that's where their ancestors are from, right? They they came to Ellis Island, so they can all associate and relate to that story. Okay, mm-hmm. but the thing is, whenever we have our our native students, then you, know, you were right. There's there's a there's a emphasis on culture and language because for us to exist, I mean, our culture and our language was was oral. So we have right. to tell those stories. We have to tell those, talk about those taboos that exist because that's what kept us alive. And, right. you know, understanding the, our, our creation story is a big part of that. And I think that's one thing that has been emphasized 
mm-hmm. in the last probably 15 to 20, 15 to 20 years in, in education. And so then we're, there's a lot of language and cultural revitalization, right? So trying to bring it back and make sure our students understand it and appreciate it and, you know, start to start to use that, that knowledge um, to, to improve ourselves. Right. So I know we've, we've kind of talked about the creation story and that's, that fascinates me. I, um, I'm planning on doing a, an episode of just myself where I actually talk about a number of creation stories from different cultures all around the world. And, uh, just to give it some perspective of similarities in each culture's creation story, you know, and, and creation doesn't necessarily have to be just a culture, but it, you know, we have a science creation story. We have, uh, religious creation stories, you know, and I would be, I would love to hear the creation story of the Navajo. If, if you would love to tell it, if you wouldn't mind. Absolutely. So, so I think I kind of mentioned this a little bit, but so what, how it came about was um, first man and first woman, obviously woman being mother earth um, and father sky, they got together, right. And they, they, created um uh, changing woman okay mm-hmm. so changing woman is the one that produced um the navajo people so it first started just i think we 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 went through four worlds to come to our fifth world that we're in right now okay and various different disasters like flooding and uh, there were some other disasters that happened, but it pushed us up to the next world where initially it was just spirit beings. Our spirits were, were, I guess, floating around. Mm-hmm. And then next thing it went to like insects, things of that nature. And then after that, it went to, to animals. And then we started coming about and I, I probably, I, I believe if, if I'm correct, it was like the third or fourth world whenever actual the thinking creature thinking beings turn into that's why whenever you think about it holy people didn't right the holy people were floating around and you know they say their spirits still float around even if they passed on but they they float around around us and protect us or, or or guide us and give us signs but anyway we went through the four levels and various different natural disasters um ended up um pushing us to this world right now. Okay. And each of the worlds have colors that are associated okay. with, um, with, with our, with our, with our creation. I, mean, I don't know all those specific details, mm-hmm. right? I'm still, I am still learning that. I know, I know the general, uh, but we do have uh, Navajo elders that do teach the actual, all the little details about it and the meanings. Um, but, but that's kind of, kind of what happened. And at one point um, the coyote, they were the the elders were trying to place the stars, the constellations, and put them up there for for people to use, which they ended up doing with some of them, like Big Dipper, the North Star, and some of the constellations that that you see um, around the world. But 
what ended up happening was the coyote is the trickster, right? He would, he would, he's the funny, goofy one messing around, right? And in our culture, he's the messenger as well, right? Mm-hmm. For example, if I, if a coyote crosses your path, he's saying that the, the creator is asking for some prayer. So you have to put corn pollen down for it, things of that nature. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the trickster goes and they were on the, they were putting, placing the constellations and the stars on this buckskin and the coyote runs over there and flips the, the buckskin up and then all the stars that were placed are there, but then all the other stars are just like scattered all over mm-hmm. from the, from the coyote um, flipping the, flipping the stars up. Um, <laughs> so that's just one example, but we, there's, there's, there's quite a few that come in to be, for example, there's um, within the creation story, there's uh, also oral stories of how the skunk got the stripes on the back. Mm-hmm. Um and just really quickly, it was it, it happened because uh, he was messing around with gopher and fire, and uh, his his back was burnt. So then, after a while, the hair just grew and grew in white on the back. Hmm. Um, so there, there's there's a really cool, um, uh, there's actually a lot of really cool stories that 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 are told during this time. And, and and keep in mind, for us, a lot of these stories are told during the winter times. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of our ceremonies happen they're either summer um ceremonies or winter ceremonies so there's, right. there's a lot of, kind of align with the uh solace uh, the yes. winter summer solace, solstice absolutely yes absolutely and when we talk about the creation story a lot of times the winter time is when we can tell those stories because we're indoors right mm-hmm. a lot most a lot majority of time we're indoors so then those stories are allowed to be told in fact our our cats in the cradle our 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 stream games mm-hmm are done in the winter. They can only oh. be done in the winter. But then they say, when the spiders come out, then you can't touch it because then the stru- the spiders are the ones that are that are doing the stringing. Right. right. So if it's if the spiders are out and about, meaning the first rain, then then we we can't do that anymore. Hmm. Um, so there's there's in, in fact within our creation story as well. Um, you know, I kind of had talked about this a little bit about, about our, about gender, right. And gender roles and mm-hmm. things of that nature. Um, here's one thing that, that is pretty important. The, the, within Navajo culture, and I know this is similar with other cultures, um, two spirit, I think it's, they're called two spirit people or, or people that are LGBTQ plus, um, in, in the Navajo, uh, creation store they're they're thought of as um spiritual people right they're Mm -hmm. they're they are they're blessing and they're they're validated i guess you can say that but it is it is it is acknowledged in there earlier i told you um, a story as well about about um so during our creation you know men and women were, were conflicted they were saying oh we can do this without you i can we can survive we don't need women we don't need men so they were in conflict and, and the women went across uh, the river and they lived on the north side and the men lived on the south side and next you know the Navajo people started dying off and then they realized hey wait we can't you know we're, we're being stubborn we can't live without the other right because then if, if we if we live separate then we can't procreate. Then the, the people would would uh, would die off. So then that was when they started to balance roles. Um, mm-hmm. There's with that. I think 
the one role that I can think of the most that, that, that women aren't supposed to do is, um, is to hunt, hunt right. for deer. That's one thing that, that I was always taught growing up is that women aren't supposed to go out and hunt. That's, that's a role. And, and I mean, I, you can, I, you, I can understand why, because of, because of menstruation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, animals can sense the mis- can smell the menstruation. Right. So then that was part of the traditional that women aren't, can't go on a hunt because a lot of times whenever you're out hunting it, you know, you're, you're lucky if you, if you, if you get it. Right. Yeah. And I know, I know in Navajo culture, um, pre colonial age, the gender roles were much more harmonious with each other. You know, it was while, while there were still, I guess, technically specific roles, they weren't roles because, Oh, you're a man, you're a woman. It's, it was a, it was a very harmonious relationship between, what was what was being done within i guess the family the tribes the clans you know the 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 whole culture was more harmonious than i guess post colonialism right and and that's a good point i mean uh, you know you look at it and to me it almost you know you look at for example a lot of the stuff within the house is under the direction of um the female and mm-hmm. a lot of the peripheral stuff like outdoor stuff caring for the animals and livestock and firewood is 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 the obviously the responsibility for the men um but there are some distinct um roles that that are there um but again you know there was there was a a balance that happened there was a they worked hand in hand you know right. you can't you, you know, you, you always have a right and a left hand and they have to work together. I mean, I, I guess you could, but here's the thing though. They tried doing it on their own and then the Navajo people started to die off. So yeah, they're right. like, wait, hang on. We have to, we have to all work on this together. Um, right. and, and I think a lot of the, you know, you look at, you look at the, the gender roles and to me, they almost are like the, heavier lifting were, were some of the things that the men were responsible for. And then mm-hmm. a lot of the, the finer things with, even whenever you look at crafting and the arts within the Navajo people, um, the fine craft is, is done by women. And right. Then the, the silversmithing is typically done by, has been, what was done by the, by the men. Um, but, you know, you, you look at our creation story and it, it's all aligned. It's all aligned. And whenever I talk about, Ceremonies within the Navajo people—they're all about the creation story, and, and um, for us to be where we're at right now. For example, if a lot of the times in Navajo culture, they they say that if you have an ailment, it was in you have an ailment because of a collision with some other spirit, mm-hmm. right? Uh, for example, in the Navajo culture, they they think that cancer and things like that stem from a collision with fire, so maybe struck by lightning mm-hmm. or somehow obviously radiation is energy as well, which, right. which, which to us is fire. So whenever your spirit collided with um, radiation, obviously the radiation starts to take over you. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's where you have radiation and then you start to die from the different elements that become, that come of it. Um, even, even uh, diabetes, right. 
uh, eating too much, too many sweets that comes from the earth. So then you have a over, over, you have a sweet tooth and, right. you know, very similar to, I guess, Christianity, like with your vices, you're doing it too much and it ends up harming you. Um, so, but when that happens, when we have our ceremonies, they try to, they, they tell the creation story and say, oh, this is how you came to be. All of these things came together for you to be here today. And wherever you conflicted with, with some other spirit, they're trying to separate your spirit from from all of these um creatures and, and not creatures but like things around us it's like right if i was hit with the rock right in, in our culture that rock has a spirit right it hit me and you know whenever that happens it can knock me out and well we're trying to separate that from it and that's kind right. of how viewed is each of us each each thing around earth has its own spirit and you know so we're trying to to fix that. And so whenever right. our ceremonies happen, they're, they're, they're doing that. And then whenever we have our, our puberty ceremony for our girls and sometimes boys, mm-hmm. um, it's celebrating, it's celebrating the gift of life, the gift that the, the female can, can is the one that brings life into this world, right? Mm-hmm. She's the one that carries the, the, the the baby or the the I can't think of it the seed and then you know the nurturing happens and then the 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 husband and the wife working together things of that nature. Um, in fact, the way that we look at it and the way our our female hogan is set up, you know, that's our logs are 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 wove are stacked together and that kind of mimics the the mother and her ribs. And there's a whole story behind that as well. I mean, it's, it's very, very in depth. So right, just for me to talk with, I mean, I could probably talk with you. Actually, you can go to Diné college and, and learn about these things in semesters and you still mm-hmm. don't know. And again, this is, right. this is and, my 44 years of, of, of learning of this and listening to this. Yeah. And we're just barely scratching the surface on some of these things. And, and uh, you know, I mean, it, as much as we can get in, you know, one to three hours. I mean, that's, that's just barely scratching the surface just a bit. I just, you know, the whole point of me doing this podcast is to educate people as much as we possibly can and not just educate, but give them a better understanding of each other and exciting, you know, some excitement of, Hey, this is something that's really interesting. I, I, I want to learn more about it, you know, and bringing education and, and understanding to people. And I know, especially with, with, uh, our native peoples, the relationship between them and anthropologists haven't quite been, uh, I'll just say it, it hasn't been a good relationship <laughs> between the two. Um, and so I'm, I'm trying to change that a little bit as much as I can. Absolutely. And I think you're doing a good job because I think the previous one of the previous episodes, you know, it made me want to travel to India. In fact, a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago, I was like, Oh, we got to go to India. I was telling my wife this. Um, but I think that's the thing though. You know, you, you look at it and there's, you, you naturally have a curiosity to try to learn what other people do. Right. Um, I, I've been fortunate enough to travel to Australia uh, New Zealand and some of the, um, you know, 
Asian countries and to learn about their culture. I was fascinated because to me, like you look at humanity, right? We we all have a story that we have and we all have a, a path that we follow to for us to arrive at this point right now. And to understand that and to see where people, you know, how they thought and their creation story and to see the similarities and, and, and look at the differences. Right. Right. And a lot of times I feel like we, 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 we forget to do that. And, I, I agree. Um, because that's where whenever you hear other people's stories, then you learn, you learn about them and you learn about their story and their journey because we've all, I mean, Navajos aren't the only ones that struggled, right? We've all, right. all of our families have struggled to come to this point. And I think just, Raising the awareness that, you know, we do continue to struggle to this day. And, um, but it takes a lot of people to, to make an impact and to make that change. So, um, you know, if people, if people are interested, yeah, there, there are tours that people can take on the reservation to, to experience, um, life. Um, I know mm-hmm. Dinette College does, uh, exchange programs with other university summer exchanges. Uh, they can study different, um, aspects uh, at the college and then there are tour groups as well on the reservation. So people want to visit the Navajo nation post pandemic, then, you know, that's, it's a beautiful land. I mean, there's, right. there's mountains, rivers, there's desert regions, uh, there's sand dunes. There's this, I mean, there's mountains. And so it's, it's just, you know, if people, you know, want to be, experience that, they can reach out and I can put them in contact with other people or they can just Google it too. <laughs> right. <laughs> so how I, I would love to know more about the, some of the ceremonies that you, you have. I mean, you, you talked about the coming of age ceremonies for, for women and for men. And I, it, it's interesting because you were talking about the coming of age for women. And I, I feel like in American culture, that's almost a taboo is that that starting of, I guess, womanhood, you know, it's not talked about, it's kind of hidden and, you know, it's almost embarrassing when that those changes do make, you know, with, with boys, your voice starts cracking and these, you know, and a lot of people make fun of it. And it's interesting to see a different side of it where it's celebrated. Right. And I think that, so uh, the canal dust ceremony or the puberty ceremony is a, is a sub, I guess, ceremony of the beauty way ceremony. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we say, so it's the spinoff. So those, you know, obviously, like I said, they go through and tell the creation story and then to where um, they weave the story so that a, young girl understands the importance of her role, I guess, importance mm-hmm. of her, her gift, the importance of her gift of giving life. So that's what's celebrated. And then on the other side, and again, that happens in, in, a, in a female hogan. And then on the other side, the male puberty happens in a sweat lodge. Okay. Which in, in Navajo culture, the male hogan is a fort, almost like a teepee, but it's, it's um, logs stacked up to a point and then it's covered with earth on the outside. So if you're plains tribe, it would be covered with uh, buckskin or, or Mm -hmm. buffalo skin, whatever. So then that's how there's, and again, they're polar opposites, but you know, for us to come together to, to create, you need need the, 
the male and the female. Okay. Right. Um, and the hoguns, so, those are the the ho- ho- houses, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. The, the houses. Um, the 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 hogan is a is a log, six sided or eight sided log, hogan log mm-hmm. um, dwelling. The older ones had a had a earth earth roof, so logs were stacked on top, and then they put earth on top of the earth. Okay. Earth. Um, actually, you can if you look at my um, my my podcast page. I back I think in in uh, January or, or December I had shared an image about you know, being raised in a, in a dirt floor earth roof hogan. Okay, mm-hmm. um, but but then again that 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 goes into you know, like I was saying, the the, the beauty way the beauty way ceremony is is the is the is the good side of it, and the other side is the you know, the, like I was saying, I don't know if I had mentioned this yet, but it's almost like the yin and the yang, right? There's mm-hmm. there's good and bad in all of us, and um, so then the other side, I think it's called chuchonge, um, and that's the the enemy way. So then there's a good way and there's a bad way, all right. So then there, that, that that's kind of how the ceremonies. Um, happen in, in in order you know they do go by the 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 um the seasons so if it's winter then um there's some specific we call it yebiche which is the night wave ceremony and then there's also the fire dance that happens in the winters once only and then um, the other ceremonies happen like the actually i believe a squad dance which is the enemy way can happen um any time throughout the year uh and then same with the blessing ways they those can happen any time throughout the year so that's kind of in a, in a nutshell kind of um the ceremonies um i know there's been spinoffs like a like a squad dance mm-hmm. or no song and dance which is kind of a social dancing that happens um so then the the obviously those are done kind of like a powwow or it's their contests and you know, you look at, they score you for your, your regalia, mm-hmm. your, your traditional outfit, and then how you dance as well. So those are, those are, that's a little bit of it. So I'd even completely finish the whole creation story, but it's, it, it's so intertwined mm-hmm. that, that a lot of the stuff I've been talking about right. um, it's all goes into, right. yeah, it's all interconnected. And so then that's how we're right now. Um, the Navajo people are in the fifth world in between mm-hmm. our four sacred mountains. One is near Durango, Colorado. Um, one is near uh, Eastern New Mexico, probably like from where I'm at, probably about 200 miles oh. east of me. Mm-hmm. And then our South mountain is uh, in Grants, New Mexico. And then our West mountain is uh, in, um, in uh, by Flagstaff right there okay. behind Flagstaff, Arizona. So that's about the size of uh, the Navajo reservation. Right. Yeah. It's, it's uh, like, I think we said earlier, I think it, I think it is the, the largest of the reservations. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think I mentioned this earlier, but it's about the size of the state of West Virginia mm-hmm. landmass wise. So it's pretty, it's pretty large. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty big. Yeah. So it covers, Arizona, New Mexico, and then a little bit of uh, Utah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, awesome. Um, let me see. Is there anything else you would like to add or talk about? Or I think just I appreciate you uh, asking me to share a little bit about the 
Navajo people. Um, you know, it, it's humbling to, to be able to share the information for one and, you know, to, to speak for, you know, 350,000 people as well. And, you know, trying to, to talk about it as accurately as possible. Again, even though there are some subtle differences, but just that, you know, we, we native people, indigenous people in the Americas are, are still here and we're, we, we might be your neighbors and, you know, we, you know, we do everything everybody else does. Right. And, and I, and personally, you know, I know in, in the past, um, anthropologists studied native peoples more of almost like an object and, you know, not actual people. And I'm trying to, with, with everybody on the podcast is get their culture from them. You know, I, I can study a culture and I can study a people and write about it, but I have my bias. I have my influence that goes into my studies of, of people and culture. And my point of this is to get your culture from you, not your culture from me. You know, I, I can read a book, I can read information and then talk about it, but I think it's more important to get it from those actually living inside of the culture than rather than having somebody like myself who might go into a culture, but I'm on now I'm on the outside and I'm just writing about it with my perspective. And I think it's important to get the perspective of the people who actually live in that culture. You know, it it's, a, it's much more important to me to get that rather than me watch it and write about it. That's correct. And I, and I like that approach because I think you're, you know, you're validating the voices and you're giving these people a voice like me to share their experiences. And I think that, I mean, that's why I, I agreed to, to do this as well. Cause I think a lot of times um, you can be as objective as possible, but a lot of times you can you know, say something or interpret something that might be different. Right. Right. Especially whenever you're comparing to others. Uh, so, but I mean, other than that, you know, I, you know, I, I like your show and I almost done with all the episodes. So, <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I listened to uh, your most recent one, and it was it was you just it was a quick ten eleven minute episode, and you told a story, and I thought I really enjoyed it. And I I don't know if you would like to share that again, or because uh, I I thoroughly enjoyed it. Right. So I think this story was about a actually I I, I can't remember if we had talked about this in the original recording. Mm-mm. I think I did, but um so. The story was about when the U.S. Cavalry, along with uh, some Spanish, I think it was Spanish soldiers and and um, some Zuni scouts, went into Canada Shea, which is present-day Chinle, Arizona, and it was basically a war party trying to eradicate uh, Navajo people, and the the men were out hunting near where my family lives in Arizona, which they, I talk about, look at you guys, Arizona. Mm-hmm. And the reason why it, it made me, it made an impact on me is because uh, earlier I talked about taboos and 
one of the taboos that we had near uh, near my 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 grandmother's house was you can't eat or drink there in a certain section of road because just east of there was where they had herd herded deer into a a corral well they had a big corral on one side and they they would herd the the deer towards it so then they can, you know, with their arrows and mm-hmm. their bow and arrows, and then they could shoot them. Okay. So near that area where that corral was, was where we would drive by and speak, you know, we were told you can't eat or drink there in this section, right? That was just one of the taboos. So I talked about that because my, one of my great grandfathers was a hunter or a hunting guide up in that area that the story was talking about. So someone had shared it and I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is where my people are from. And, and I had talked about how it gave me a feeling in, inside of where Navajo people had been and what they've overcome to be for me to be where I am at today, to mm-hmm. be a descendant that has survived eradication, that has survived assimilation and have survived these multiple attempts by the government to, you know, kill me. So that's why I shared the story. And, um, you know, it was a group from the Navajo nation had shared it and it just made an impact on me. And I mean, I, I talked a little bit more about it because, you know, the Hopi, not the Hopi, the, the Zunis, um, you know, the, they, in, within native communities, the U S Calvary or the Spanish soldiers would have, uh, have native groups, um, side with them and and fight against Mm -hmm. each other. Kind of like last of the Mohican movie. (laughs) Right. Right. So, so that happened, but I mean, I think to this day, there's some, there's some unity that happened because the Navajo people also do that with the U.S. Calvary against other tribes in our area, like the Apache and, and um, yeah, and the Utes as well, I believe. Mm -hmm. So that was the story and and I shared it and it was, it was, I don't know, it just made me feel good inside. Right. Yeah. I, I, I enjoyed it a lot. (laughs) It was, even though it was quick, it was, uh, it was, it was a powerful thing to hear. Absolutely. So just, just before we end, I just wanted to, to, you know, if anybody is interested in in following my podcast, uh, I'm on Twitter as Navajo podcaster, um, Instagram Navajo podcaster, and then 21st century native leaders is the name of the podcast. It's uh, it's on every major podcasting site. Um, my YouTube channel is just Peter Deswood, my name, and they wouldn't let me put 21st century native leader. <laughs> I, had to, I had to put my name. Oh, so, but I do share my content on all of those different pages and my podcast has been heard in, I think 322 countries around the world. So, oh, wow. Yeah, it's, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I know the episode before that, I, I forget his name, but he's, he's a chef and it was, I, really good interview. I, I really enjoyed, uh, listening to it. So yeah, um, Nephi Craig, amazing, yeah. amazing chef uses a lot of natural herbs, uh, from his community, which is the uh, Apache. And, um, he, he was actually featured on a movie called Gather which is a, it's a documentary and um, he was in that movie. So that was the uh, producers. Like, oh, can you interview? I mean, he's, he has amazing stuff. Actually, we're going to do a, a second episode here probably within the next year mm-hmm. just because he has a really good approach. And I like the way, you know, he was, he overcame addiction and he was in, in a recovery program teaching uh, 
people how to cook because he's an executive chef, right? He's taught like, in, or not taught, he's, he's uh, cooked in, I think, seven or eight countries around the world, but he brings that experience and we're going to talk a little bit more, but that was a really good interview. I yeah. really enjoyed talking to him. I, I enjoyed listening to it very much so. Yeah, we talked about food sovereignty, and which is a big issue in Native communities, is reclaiming our our, our foods uh, that we ate pre-colonial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. it was it was awesome. I think everybody should check it out. Absolutely. Well, let me know when it uh, let me know when this episode or the first episode airs, and then okay, then I'll share it as well. Yeah, it'll be on uh, it'll be on this coming Tuesday. I think it's the what is it the ninth? Yeah, absolutely the ninth. The ninth. So I uh, got it loaded up, so it's ready to go. <laughs> All right. Well, I appreciate it. And, and, I, and I do have to say thank you for coming on. I it, It's been something that I've wanted to do for a long time. You know, I, I, I got into anthropology, um, I think, because of my, my own family history. And when I was a little kid, my my mom would always talk about the Vikings. Um, and as I got older, she told me kind of about our family history of, of when we came over from Denmark. And it was only a couple generations ago, but my great, I think it's great, great grandfather, he was in the Danish military and wanted to come to the United States, but since he was in the military, they said, you can't. And his wife got on the boat. She was allowed. The boat took off. He dove in the water, swam to the boat, climbed on the boat. The military searched the boat for him, couldn't find him, and then came over. And so, you know, our our family history is from Denmark. And so growing up, I was always fascinated with, with Vikings, you know, because that's what you hear, you know, you, that's the biggest part of it. And so growing up, I, I was a Viking, I'm a Viking, I'm a Viking, you know, I have some tattoos that are Vikings, you know, and I know, I, I do know that now that some of that's related to something that I don't want to be associated with, but, you know, that's my family history. And that's kind of what got me into anthropology was trying to learn more about the actual culture rather than just having, you know, what you see on TV, because as, as you are, you know, well aware of TV doesn't always depict what's correct, (laughs) you know? And so that was what really got me into anthropology and cultural anthropology, because, you know, the more I learned about one culture, I wanted to know more about another culture and another culture and another, you know, and it's, it's, to me, it's very enriching to, to learn about other cultures, you know, and I, I always talk about similarities and differences and, and seeing what, aspects as humanity is very similar to somebody across the, you know, across the world, you can see something that's similar and have better understanding. And it's, that's, that's kind of where I came into anthropology was just my own family history. Right. I think that's pretty powerful that, you know, what you just said, because I think as human beings, we want to know where we come from. We want to know our story. Right. We want to know the history of how we came to be. And, you know, and, and I think that's, that was kind of what I shared with, with mm-hmm. the Navajo people. And, you know, that's something where we have that community where we share that same common experience. And 
and once you do know it, I mean, there, there's, there's definitely a pride that you get from it. Right. I, I, I agree. So I, I do thank you for coming on and, uh, maybe we can retouch in the, in the future and scratch that surface a little bit more. Absolutely. Yeah. Let me know. And if you, if you want to want me to connect you with any other uh, native from other communities. Oh, I, I definitely would love that. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, I, I want to talk to everybody, <laughs> everybody that I can, you know, with, wherever they're from, I, I want to talk, you know, I want to know more about their culture and just, and, and not just, not just the culture, but the person as well, you know, because like I said earlier, you can talk to 10 different people in a culture and it's going to vary slightly because each experience is different within that culture. And, you know, I, I, I relate this to say my, my sisters, my sisters, I have sisters that are identical twins and growing up in the same household. But as they got older, they started to have different experiences. And so their culture started to change. And even though they're identical twins, looking now they're they're having they're forming their own personal culture with you know who they married the experiences that they've gone through people you know the different people that have had impacts and influence in in their lives so it's not just about a culture but even individual culture as well absolutely so all right well well let me know how keep, keep me in touch and uh of, I look forward course. to talking again I, I do too. Thank you. Okay. All right. Have a good, have a good day. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. And before we end the show, uh, please remember to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Culturepology. And also, if you want to be on the show, you can uh, email me at culturepology5 at gmail.com. And if you're listening to us on uh, Apple Podcasts, please leave a five-star review as it does help out the show. And remember, folks, people don't feel the smile of our face. It's the smile of our hearts that people feel. Have a good night.